Checking back in with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for a after Thanksgiving Tacky Talk. Hey, Tacky. Hey, Joe. Uh, happy end of the month of November. We got one more day tomorrow to the end. And I hope you and your family and everyone else watching and listening had a wonderful uh, long holiday of Thanksgiving. Thank you. We did. We uh, It was a success, success because uh, we ate way too much. So that's how you know it's a success. <laughs> Well, I suppose a success of a dinner is how many leftovers there are. <laughs> That's right. Well, I remember you were cooking, I remember. Uh, last we chatted, you you gave me the rundown. How did it go? <laughs> well, uh, as I said, uh, we did our Thanksgiving the, the Saturday before Thanksgiving due to family scheduling problems. So it was three days of me cooking. And uh, people were quite happy with my Chinese roast pork and uh, uh, my uh, mashed potatoes and um, uh, mint mustard roasted lamb and uh, made cheesecake and uh, Chinese uh, sweet red bean soups. And, um, you know, other folks brought in a few things like, you know, uh, Chinese veggies. And, um, you know, I put out, you know, simple things like potato chips and pickles and other things like that as, as the appetizer, you know, pre-dinner type stuff. And, um, yeah, and then, you know, a couple of pops and, uh, you know, brought plenty of soda. I can only have, uh, because of my limited capacity, you know, main uh, was called uh, Maine root beer, Maine ginger beer. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's not cheap. It's not cheap soda. I don't drink it very often, but as you all know, I all have this dietary limitations to my food allergy. So what little pleasures I can get, I will. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, that was nice. That was nice to contribute to your family. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and mom made a, a pork and chicken soup. So hmm. that was that was actually a good starter as well. So, but I mean, it was a good day. I mean, like fourteen. Told the 14 people. Some people had to come leave early a little bit. But um, yeah, no, we had a fun night. Um, nice. And then Thanksgiving for me, since we did everything prior Saturday, was was blissfully quiet. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Not a bad thing for sure. Although it wasn't quiet in the city, that's for sure, from football to Santa Claus and everything in between. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving is uh, the big hurrah of holidays before, actually for the rest of the year. A lot of my colleagues... Uh, find themselves in Christmas parades during the week of Christmas, uh, as well as New Year events and uh, other types of similar celebrations during the um, the 22nd to January 1st. So uh, I tell my colleagues in, uh, that Christmas is actually pretty quiet for elected officials in Quincy. Obviously, we have some tree lightings in neighborhoods. Hell's Neck is doing their lobster uh, lobster pot tree lighting, I think, on December 10th and um, this coming weekend. Uh, is the uh, Adam Shore tree lighting in the evening, uh, which is really just limited to the neighborhood. There, a lot of the events are just for the neighborhood. Um, you have to get invited in by a neighbor if you want to participate. Um, and there'll be other ones going around the city, but I mean, no major like major parades or like three hours of big events. I mean, the mayor had his incredibly well done event at the front of City Hall again uh, this past weekend uh, under tree lighting at City Hall, and. Uh, you know, so my other colleagues tend to be a little bit jealous of the fact that, you know, we actually do have a peaceful December, ironically speaking, for elected officials. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, the 4th of July, too. We do it all on Flag Day here in Quincy. <laughs> we do. But I mean, remember, smaller parades, right? You got the Squam Parade, Marymount yeah. Parade. In my case, is Adam Shore uh, Celebration yeah. Scholarship Program. And, you know, to have the Family Day at uh, Germantown. So, uh, you know, and we have the pre-family fun days on the third uh, out in House Neck as well as um, in Marymount. And then, you know, obviously everyone knows about the House Neck bonfire as well, the, the night of the third, which 
I don't go to. At that point, I'm kind of exhausted anyway from a lot of different things before. Um, so, yeah, again, everyone, every community is different. One of the nice things about working this job is you can talk to other folks about what goes on there. And sometimes we're envious, sometimes we're not. <laughs> well, they can envy this tacky. Uh, this uh, AM Quincy show that we're recording today is the 1000th episode of AM Quincy. Oh, wow. Milestone time. Is there like a, a double titanium platinum anniversary a ring involved? No, I don't think so. Maybe they'll give me a new selfie ring light or, or a new webcam or something. Well, this is all I want for Christmas by Joe Catalano. That's right. So, but yeah, the 1000th episode and, and you're a big uh, contributor to that number so we thank you for utilizing us here at QATV. Well, congratulations I mean it takes a lot of perseverance to get to a thousand episodes and you interview you know hundreds of people over, over the course of your lifetime and uh, you know thank you for letting me again I mean I always say thank you for letting me being part of this um, I know we started this during you know basically at the onset of COVID and uh, enjoyed the ride together so much that uh, over three years now we're still together. Yep. Yep, seems appropriate that you would be the 1,000th because you are the most prolific uh, producer of them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, it's a, as uh, listeners have learned over the years plus now uh, that uh, this is a, a casual conversation. Uh, it's not scripted, and uh, Joe does surprise me with questions. I have no idea is coming. So, and you've all seen me try to dance around stuff, and Joe hold me to, uh, to the fire, avoiding the dance, so... Uh, I think this is kind of fun because it's, it's uh, considerably more candid uh, conversations and, um, you know, and obviously, you know, try to be less colorful, but my words are choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We've never had to edit, Jackie. We'll say that. We've never had to edit. <laughs> Although we've had many technical difficulties, right? I mean, but, well, this this is true. Yes. Uh, but when you think about it, I mean, we've, we've done these from uh, the front seat of your car. We've done them from Austin, Texas. We've done them you know, from a myriad of different places. Yeah, I think um, next time I go to an educational trip, we should do another one like that. I'll show you where I am, or a conference or meeting. Uh, with COVID, obviously, you know, essentially under, I wouldn't say under control, but I mean, as we like we've learned how to live with this properly, like we do with the flu and common codes and RSVs and other infectious diseases we get, especially in wintertime. I mean, I'm actually still hoping to get more um, educational uh, business trips in um, at some point. Um, because I lost a lot of time, like everyone else listening. I mean, we lost a lot of time on the opportunity to um, uh, get caught up and, and meet folks. And, you know, legislature should uh, get out. I'm not like saying all the time, but I mean, you know, we definitely should take opportunities to get beefed up on our knowledge bases. Um, and TechNet was one of those opportunities as, you know, other ones could be coming up. And as I'm trying to decide what I want to do during the legislative schedule, because the schedule dictates my life. The speaker sets the schedule, um, and it's not always a lot of advance notice on these schedules. Um, so my schedule does uh, juggle or during the course of a week, depending on when a session is called. Um, other folks, you know, have like a routine, right? You have like a schedule, your set schedule. I mean, uh, Quincy Council is the best example, right? Quincy State Council is meeting on Mondays, every other week on a Monday. So a budget when they go like three, four, five, six days, which co could, you know, involve a 10-hour day uh, or more, depending on how they schedule that week. 
Um, they can call special sessions like they do in COVID, but I mean, at least you know there's like every other Monday plus these odd situations for the budget. You know, obviously we have a schedule for the budget. You know, we know generally where it's going to be, so I can work around that. But, you know, on a week-by-week basis, I get the announcement from the Speaker's office late Friday about the session next week or no session next week. So, you know, our office schedules um, – my meetings and my events and, uh, you know, other types of whatever, including my personal life stuff, you know, uh, not making assumptions about the schedule. Um, it's dangerous. You can't just assume that it's going to be X day. Um, this includes like vacation time, right? Not just educational conferences. So since we're in person, there's no remote uh, capacity for us in the house, unlike the Senate, which can still remote capacity. You know, we have to show up in person. Um you know, the uh, schedule constantly uh, shuffles uh, when a, when a formal session is called. Right. So speaking of, I know you had, you're in informal session now, right? Yes. Under the law, we have to come in every 72 to hours uh, to have a session. It's an informal session. You see this in Congress too, uh, where uh, you can pass bills by unanimous consent. One person objects, closes down the whole session. You know, we can call quorum. You can you know, simply say object and it shuts down a session. It basically cancels the calendar for that informal session. Um, so, you know, we are still moving some bills, but, you know, we don't, you know, all of the non-controversial type, uh, or if it's a little bit more controversy, you, you know, any single person can object and you end up in this weird negotiation with one person. Thankfully, for better or for worse, I mean, our recess is actually fairly short overall. Uh, it's about six or so odd weeks. And um, January's uh, first Wednesday after the first Monday is the opening of the 2024 session. It's a weird issue where we operate into two-year sessions in the rules. But for the purposes of the opening of a session, closing of a session, it revolves around the first Monday after the, I'm sorry, the first Wednesday after the first Monday. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Interesting. First Wednesday after the first. So the first Monday is New Year's Day in 2024. Yeah, which is the closest, is the earliest you could possibly have of an opening right. of a session. So we do go through this ceremonial process every single year. Uh, obviously, 2024 is not a fanfare. There's no there's no swearing in of members. Uh, as you may imagine, swearing in day is very special for many folks, but especially brand new electeds to bring all their family. And the building really is about um, not just opening a session, but also celebrating you know, newly electeds and welcome to the chamber and their families as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, it'll be very quiet. There's not a lot of fanfare. Not a lot of stuff's going to happen. We have to go through these ceremonial uh, processes pursuant to the Constitution. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They've been there a year now. It's old, old hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, they they found a way to the bathroom, so to speak. Right. <laughs> That's the most important thing. <laughs> and the back door to get out. <laughs> yeah, that is true too. I mean, learning the maze of the state house and yeah, back door. I mean, our Ashburton Place entrance opened up after Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had lost that interest for pretty much the entire year as they uh, renovated the up and down stairs to allow a, a tap pass op- op- ability for state employees uh, to actually enter the state house. Uh, we used to actually have to flash a badge and they would have to inspect every badge. Now we're uh, finally cut up to the 21st century, folks, mm-hmm. where I have tap ability to enter the building. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. <laughs> well, it's one of, if not the oldest working state house in the country, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. State House is, uh, we like to say it's the oldest one, but I mean, I think uh, some other states will argue that, but I, I can safely say that we are the oldest operating State House in terms of full operations, right? We're just not a legislative body. We have all the office spaces for legislators there as well as all mm-hmm. the constant 
Regional Officers, but the Attorney General. And it's, it's actually technically a functioning museum. It's an old building mm -hmm. uh, between the paintings, the governor's portraits, uh, the various um, uh, architectural marvels of the building. Um, and just historical significance is actually really a museum too. Uh, so we always refer to this as a fully functional office building, a legislative body and a museum. Yeah, yeah, it's not just ceremonial. It's the real deal, folks. <laughs> it is like many state houses. Uh, you know, tour groups come through all the time, and um, you know, we have about a thousand odd employees, uh, give or take. Uh, and then you know, the place can swell up to twenty five hundred plus people in the height of tourist season. So, did you get any work done this week, Jackie? Uh, a little bit of work done. I mean, I had my staff meeting, uh, and then you know, they gave me some letters to edit and documents to read, which like any good office does, you drop stuff in a boss's desk and this is your problem, not mine. Uh, <laughs> good to delegate, right? <laughs> sometimes they delegate to you. Uh, not a bad thing. Everybody knows what their roles are. I think that's the way to put it. And uh, that's that's important of a well-run office. I mean, just because you're, you're it's your office, you're the boss to run it, doesn't mean that you know you just dump your work on other people and don't take mm -hmm. responsibility. I mean, end of the day, it's my name on every sheet of paper, for better or for worse. And uh, something happens, you know, they act on my behalf. So when you talk to my office, you're talking to me because I will mm -hmm. hear. About it. Uh, so you know, I remind that to you know every person who visits, including government affairs people, and. You know, that you talk to anybody who works for anybody's office, whether it's an intern or a paid staffer, uh, you know, you're talking to me, uh, you're talking to the office holder because the it's what it is, it's an office holder, right? You're, off, you're holding the office now, but it could be someone else's later. So, you, you know, as I like to say, you don't have to love the elected, but you should respect the office. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the, and the constituents that put you there, right? That's actually correct. Yep. And um, like I say, I do hear from my own people. I mean, they, they're the ones who... Uh, you know, get in front of these calls that I can't get in front of because of, again, scheduling. We talked about that earlier. And, uh, you know, I find out about stuff. And, uh, you know, I took some constituent calls last week. You know, somehow my cell phone's floating around, which I don't know who's doing this to me, but that's okay. And, um, but Thanksgiving weekend is generally very quiet overall in terms of like work. I mean, I didn't have to like do any briefings. I didn't have to go be a speaker at, at, a, at a policy issue. Um but, you know, coming up next week, you know, you're going to get things like the FY25 consensus budget hearing, uh, where you're going to hear a lot of economists trying to project out um, 2024's uh, economic outlook, uh, as well as uh, projections on potential uh, tax revenues. And they'll give the range to give the most pessimistic views, they get the most optimistic views from different groups that generally about six to eight different economists with very different models. And uh, ways and means will spend about two to four hours, depending on the line of questioning, on what, you know, what people are thinking um, that the experts in, in this industry of uh, economics and, you know, try to project out what the 2024 is uh, and then set up the 25 fiscal year budget. And there'll be a consensus number between House and Senate Ways and Means and the governor's office, administration, finance secretary will put that number out. And that's the number we're going to work around unless new data shows up, which does happen. I mean, in mm. April, May, June, July, you know, we get new data, then the budget will be readjusted up or down based on that new data. Um, so, you know, that, that's the thrilling part of the legislature in December, listening to economists talk about the you know, 2024 budget. Yeah. Uh, one thing that has not got done yet, as you're well aware, is the supplemental budget. 
Yeah, the reconciliation budget, so to speak, as I like to call it, deficiency budget we used to call in the old days. So, you know, we, we're addressing several things in this. One is the comptroller's final accounting of books. Uh, in October, th this budget reflects the final reconciliation. So that includes bill paying and money unspent by the administration is reverted back to the general fund and whether or not we're going to put that money into a trust fund for future use or, you know, reallocate the money to be paid for bills. Or we allow prior what we call prior appropriation to continue, which means that money can be uh, utilized by the state agency again going to next year. You know, uh, you know, as part of their FY twenty four budget, um, there was a bit of a deficiency, but I, I think it was a little bit overblown because again, the capital gains taxes were not as vigorous, and we can talk about that again. Uh, what I think is going to happen uh, starting next year in capital gains, but you know, very poor year in capital gains um, from FY twenty three, and. Um, uh, fiscal year starts on July 1st, by the way. That's why we first fiscal year. It's a little confusing. When to make those comments on what year we're in, we're in the fiscal budget. So it's not calendar year. It's, it's July to July. Right. So, you know, but part of it also includes the uh, funding for collective bargaining agreements that were completed back from May, uh, March to May of this year with the state government. So state government employees are waiting for their cost of living adjustments. Um, which um, obviously I'm hearing a lot of unhappy folks that this has now been delayed um, because we did vote for this in July, didn't come out of that conference committee complete. And we voted again in October, uh, November, and uh, we're still waiting for um, conference committee to agree to this. We couldn't come to a um, consensus about having a good conference committee between the House and Senate leaderships. Um, and now, you know, obviously it's very upset public employees. And the other big part that's in the budget uh, is this one-time funding for um, this migrant shelter issue. As you may be aware, the judge has allowed uh, the governor to cap at 7,500 total families that can qualify for this. However, you know, the governor's office believes that the, the funding and the current uh, pace will probably expire before the end of July, uh, January, before the end of January. So we're trying to put another $20 million, $250 million scraped from various trust funds um, so to speak, because we do have a lot of different trust funds uh, out there that, that are committed to different purposes and try this one-time uh, funding to to get through this uh, for next fiscal year about you know, praying and advocating and sometimes less begging, happy, begging <laughs> and other less happy words uh, to, <laughs> to recognize the, the plate they've dumped onto the states yeah. um, regarding their, frankly, irresponsibility of how to handle a humanitarian issue. Are just flat out irresponsible in how to handle that um, on a humanitarian crisis. So, yeah, so we got that going on too. And is there a um, deadline, Taki, to, to when this can go until before you have to start all over again? Yeah, this was asked to me, and I got to go through the Tacky Institutional Historical Database. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, budgetary items are not addressed before the beginning of the new, new, new uh, calendar year opening session, meaning uh, before January. Um, the, which is what January 3rd this year is the first, yeah, because Monday would be a January 1st. So yeah, right. January 3rd, you know, the, the, any, uh, budget oriented items expire. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, if the conference committee is unable to do something, I believe it expires, but I need to double check that for you guys. Okay. All right. Um, it's been such a long time, uh, since we found ourselves in a, situation like this where the budgetary items are not yeah i heard something like 30 years it hasn't happened 
Yeah. And back then, 30 years ago, we had a start. Uh, that was not a two-year session. 30 years ago, it was a one-year session. You started oh. a break cycle. You had to file bills all over again. At the beginning, of year, all bills expired. Um, committees reform kind of in a weird way. They already formed, but I mean, they kind of reform temporarily. It's, it's mm. a, It was different. And uh, because yeah. you stopped over as a clean slate. Um, so now bills carry over into the second half. Of the cycle in 2024, 2023, but uh, budgetary items and whatnot, you know, automatically die off at the end of the of the session year. Um, okay. So these dates are confusing, folks. I have to keep track of this stuff in my head. Yeah, um, no, I get it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we do have a deadline, and if if I'm correct, uh, you know, they're gonna have to do something quickly by by uh, by you know end of December. Um, okay. So stay tuned. We're kind of uh, hoping that the, there's a lot of pressure from folks on, on different areas regarding the humanitarian issue, plus the uh, state employees issue. Uh, will actually sheriff's office impacted too. Uh, will be you know addressed uh, soon. Um, obviously, Quincy has a lot of public employees in it. The city has been so. I am very aware that we have a lot of state employees and county employees uh, living in the city, and I'm very right. sensitive uh, to to the issue regarding the colas. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we'll wait and see what that ha- what happens with that. So, informal session, though, if one person, like you say, objects, then it's not going to happen. Yeah, and it's but you got to have an end game if you go in there. I mean, the last time we actually had the significant problem was when we had more Tea Party folks in the state house, and they thought they could leverage uh, House and Democratic leadership against uh, themselves, essentially. Uh, by constantly objecting and realized after they did it for like a solid month, they weren't getting anything out of it because they had no idea. They just did it as a promotional stunt. I, I mean, okay. we, we talk a lot about, we talk about this quite a bit here in politics when we discuss whether it be Beacon Hill or Capitol Hill or even other countries when we bring up topics here. I mean, I'm a big believer in endgame. What is the endgame? Mm-hmm. You know, the aggravation. Um, what is your goal? Right. Yeah. Good question, you know, because at the end, you have to get something done. Yeah, hacking everybody off in your workplace, you better have an objective because your objective is just to make people upset at you. It doesn't really create a conductive workplace. Right, and it, it doesn't bode well for your future, <laughs> either as an elected official or a private employee. Uh, that's it, because um, we're in a public spotlight, and uh, it isn't hard to find uh, news articles uh, regarding our behavior uh, and uh, with state of news service um, not like I'm encouraging people to do this but obviously you know if you're an employer uh, business and you want to get caught up on our news you can you can actually go to state of news service which is actually what the Boston Herald and the Boston Globe will buy uh, state of news service articles um, and of course you guys have to be able to broadcast uh, some of our public hearings and mm-hmm. some of our uh, sessions I remember watching an old hearing in your lobby I was like wow that was like a year and a half ago, but you guys are broadcasting it now. So hope, hopefully we have date stamps on these things to let people know which hearing it was when. That's a um, good idea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't, people don't call me like, hey, you did this. I'm like, yeah, that was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, there's something called the uh, mass media exchange where uh, all those meetings are available for local access centers. Yeah. And, you know, like I so said, we also can watch this online at melegislation.gov. I bring up that website at the end of every show. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you don't want to, do that. You can obviously go to QA TV and watch live broadcast on it on the website, as well as if, if you have Xfinity Comcast, you can do that there. So, you know, the 21st century allows anyone 
uh, to be able to uh, watch uh, from the comfort of being in Florida, for example, uh, you know, a QA TV broadcast that allows you to you know, watch some of our hearings and our sessions. And of course, you know, with the age of the internet, you know, we, we're no longer broadcasting on PBS. Remember the days when we were on Channel 44? Yep, I do remember those, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We had to pay for that, by the way. That wasn't free. Oh, the I didn't know that. Yeah, the legend had to pay Channel 44 to broadcast us. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, I, I know this because in the 03, 05 financial crisis, we had to start cutting the budget and we discovered we just better try to move this onto the internet uh, for the first time, you know. Don't start me about status technology. But the first time we we you know migrated over the internet and you know canceled the contract with 44 when it was when it was up for renewal because you know you just couldn't afford it back then. So mm. uh, that's actually the story of how we actually migrated all the sessions onto the internet. And mm. then you know the broadcasting of public hearings is a COVID creation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were already in the process in 2019 of doing a massive upgrade in the hearing rooms on cameras and that is big screen TVs, and then we had like uh, what we called um, test trial hearings, some public chair hearings, uh, okay by the chairs allowed testing of the equipment, like you know whether the closed caption will work, and they're trying to shake the kinks out uh, in twenty nineteen, uh, going to twenty twenty uh, to see if they can um, you know do this properly. I remember because I was like at a hearing and it wasn't being broadcast; they were just trying to check the tech to see you know how it work in live conditions. And of course, when twenty hit. Um, you know, nothing was going on for a bit, and we migrated onto Zoom hearings. I was one of the few chairs that decided we're going to do this, you know, in a public hearing, and we use Zoom as opposed to Microsoft Teams because we didn't have enough licenses for uh, for twenty six odd committees to broadcast simultaneously. Right. And uh, you know, I'm I'm one of the few guys that did this on Facebook Live, um, and then we sent the archive recordings to uh, Stato's Tech, and then you know waited for them to upload. You know our, our Zoom hearings on, and now we're on Microsoft uh, Teams, and we're obviously back in person. If you look at our hearings, um, the chairs are in person. Uh, not all the members have to be in person, um, but again, this is some of the stuff. You know, all only had to do is because of COVID. The answer's kind of yes, but also kind of no. We're already moving that direction. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sped things up a lot. <laughs> yeah, and also not us being the sales. We finally kind of went through the like start and stop reopening of everybody over the course of 2020. You know, also gave uh, the state house employees uh, working technology in particular the ability to like do stuff because we weren't there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they can do like the wiring. They didn't have to worry about you know us being underfoot for lack of a better term right. uh, yeah. when they were in the building, uh, uh, wiring up the tech and and doing all these changes to our offices regarding technology. Um, but one of the drawbacks, of course, was this, as I'm using this uh, Microsoft Surface talking to you now, because remember, I was using my little cell phone the whole time yep. at one point. Um, you know, we, we took us like 18 months to find uh, the surfaces because there's just no uh, computers available because of the you know massive need for home offices. Right. Yeah. The schools brought up a lot of them, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we, we were suffering the same problem everyone else was during, during 2020, 2021, I think. We didn't get these uh, units until 2021 November. Wow! So two years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so I mean, uh, you know, some people think that you know what we did, we had to do, and it's true. Uh, you know, but some of the stuff was already in the works prior. It's just, you know, it just was, you know, everything in life was delayed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we talk a little bit about the debate about uh, gun reform, Techie. I know there was a. Uh, Kind of both sides uh, at the state house this week. 
Yeah, it's kind of an odd situation. You know, Joint Committee of Public Safety had uh, a number of uh, firearms-related legislation that you know heard uh, this week. However, you know, we did already pass a major gun reform bill uh, back in uh, early November, I think. My dates are jumbling on what were we doing when. So it was kind of a, a curious session. Uh, curious hearing because it's like we already addressed it, uh, but public hearing uh, chairs weren't able to get a schedule together until this week on the issue. Um, I'm going to tell you anything you heard in this week's public hearing is not going anywhere, most likely, um, unless it becomes a vehicle for a Senate version of uh, some kind of firearms related reform bill. Um, if they choose not to use the one we sent over to the Senate, I checked yesterday actually and the bill has not been referred to committee uh, that we sent over to the Senate. Not yet. Mm -hmm. It's hanging in limbo in the Senate clerk's office waiting for the House Senate Committee on Rules, basically the Senate president, uh, to make a referral uh, to a committee from there, which should be ways and means, because that's it, it, there is a cost component. And um, so I, I, I'll tell everybody, as, as a real real life issue, that I wouldn't expect any of the bills to be heard this week going where the issue has been addressed by the House. How the Senate manages it, maybe they take a bill out of there, uh, but you know, under the way the rules system set up on moving bills, they really need to use the vehicle the House sent over because we can't re-debate an issue of the same type twice in the rules. I see. Because um, it's, not, it's not budgetary. It's not like kind of like a bargaining, which is part of a budget, a package deal of a budget that was not uh, that was something passed along but wasn't funded uh, or, or passed in. This is. I've seen this before where, you know, the attempt by the Senate to send us something over and debated on a different vehicle, different bill, even though we already sent them a bill sitting in the, the Senate. And unlike Congress, there's no way to reconcile the two because in Congress, you, even though they have separate committees, the bill comes out of the House and it goes straight to a starting over committee in the Senate. Then it's to go through the bottom of the process back to the top. And, and oh, no wonder why it takes so long to get stuff done down there. <laughs> yeah. And well, actually, most states have this. I mean, only about... I think less than five. I think three states have joint committees like us, which cuts out the recycling of the whole thing. Yeah. So we have joint committees where the House and Senate meet together. And then that's the start process, mm -hmm. so to speak, on reviewing public policy. And then mm -hmm. it goes to, you know, serious policy, ways and means, third reading, then onto the floor. Uh, then we ship it to the Senate, and the Senate does not send it back to a start over committee. Uh, it actually goes back, goes into a standing committee, which is a committee that's not jointly controlled by both branches. So it'll probably be, like I said, ways and means. Should be the likely culprit. But Jenny also could send it to the House Senate Committee on Rules, for example, you know, uh, as another example of a place you could put a bill uh, in a standing committee. I've seen it done before. Very, very, very rare, but I've seen it done before. Um, so uh, that, you know, so that's how it's set up here. In other places, you start at the bottom of one branch, go all the way top pass the bill through, then you go to the other branch, and you have to go to the bottom of the review process, and you have to start over again. And that's how many states work in Congress. I also learned many states don't have public hearings. What? Yeah, that was my response, too. I mean, we're getting always accused of not being a sunshine state. And I'm like, let's back up a second, folks. I have to take testimony from anybody that walks in a room. And right. we don't swear people in. Other places is by invitation only, and you're basically sworn in and pains and perjury. We don't do pains and perjury in Massachusetts. No, you just walk in and talk. You walk in and talk. Yeah. And that sums it up. So, 
you know, now we have to schedule because of online. If you want to speak online, we have to do a scheduling process for online. But if you walk in the door at my public hearing and you want to say something, just sign up and we'll let you up and give you three or so minutes and, you know, potential questioning for the for the committee members. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, no, this is probably the thing I learned at TechNet, talking to other legislators and also other uh, government affairs people because they just don't do Massachusetts. Those guys do national or regional mm-hmm. like 10 states or five states or 20 states or some go to all around the country and testify at all the legislatures. And uh, yeah, well, one of the few, if not the only one that actually allows people from public to walk in. So I always marvel at, you know, accusations of non-transparency. And I also find it funny these national groups do that. Well, they well know what it's like in other states committee. So again, I take a lot of stuff with grain of salt when people say, particularly national organizations, they know the truth. They just choose not to tell people in Massachusetts how things work other places. Yeah. And I don't know either until I meet other legislators. And I'm like, right. you right. see how a look on my face when they find this stuff out. I'm just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, um, you really, if you don't have the public hearing process, then legislation is kind of out of the public's purview. Well, in some states like Florida, limited how many bills you can file. Oh, wow. The legislature, there's no right to petition in most states. Most states are not right to petition. Most states are, you know, caps how many you can file. And some states have committees like, you know, review the reps bills before they even allow to go into filing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's different everywhere. And obviously, we're a full time legislature. We talked about our longer sessions because we have formal sessions, essentially, you Mm -hmm. know, almost 10 ish months at the first half and six months in the second half of the of the session. But we also informal sessions. Some states only have informal sessions. They shut down. They shut down. And as a result, they have extremely strong governors. Yes. Yes. Okay. I see. Yeah. Because since the legislature is not in session, the governor basically can run rampant. You know, and defy, try to defy the legislature. The legislature can't do anything until they come back in the session. And in a place like Texas, only worked one five months out of two years, and only in the first half of a two year session, mm. which I find funny. So, why just get reelected every year as opposed to every two years? But, mm. you know, they also don't get full time pay as a result. Mm. And, um, and also, they uh, run a two year fiscal year budget. So, if something goes sideways in the second half of a two year session. You know, the governor has a lot of control, but, you know, the governor has the ability to summon the legislature back in the session. Okay. Yeah, I see. I learned it te- when I did my tour to Texas State House. It was actually quite interesting. And then, you know, we talked to some people in other states, like in Pennsylvania, uh, they can record their votes to, with the minority or, minority or majority whips in the House and they cast a vote on their behalf. They don't actually have to go to a session. No. Hmm. I was appalled by that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I mean, it's people... not my not my state. Right. Yeah, you could be anywhere. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, I was like complete shock because I'm like, you know, we're, we have to show up. See, I this mean, is good. I, mean, this is... I was taught as a young person, I mean, half the battle showing up for work. Yeah. Well, at least 50% of it, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, as you all know, as you all know, I mean, you know, I, I, I do have an acting and, and modeling background from my younger days, and I learned that lesson quick. So, quick side story. There was a, a commercial, I believe it was by Porsche. It was a foreign commercial that was not shown in the U.S. And, you know, I had a small role uh, because I was still young enough to pass for a student. And uh, it started raining, and these were outdoor shoots. And But I showed up at work anyway. And because it was a, a sad contracted shoot, uh, I, the fact that I showed up and signed in, they had to pay me, even though they didn't you know, pay me for the work, because even though I didn't actually work, because it was raining too hard, because it was all outside, the fact I showed up, I got paid. Oh. So there was reschedule, 
And I, you know, I was able to get to the new day schedule and I got paid twice. So, you know, I learned very quickly at a young age, show up for work. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you showed up. It wasn't, it wasn't your fault it rained. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, it, it really started coming out bad after I showed up. And this was purely outdoor shooting. There was no indoor components. So right. I got, I got paid and I was like, okay, well, you know, this, this is part of it. So lesson learned. Yeah, exactly. Lesson learned. Right. So again, I look, I'm not good. I was a little appalled, but again, it's a different state. It's how they operate. It's not my job to tell them how to do their jobs. Their well, to tell that's them. right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, rain, we talked a little bit about um, the uh, state's plans to combat climate change. Uh, the governor made some announcements yesterday about a new, actually a new, um, I don't know if it's a cabinet position, but at least in addition to the uh, Massachusetts Office of Coastal Zone Management to have kind of a head person to deal with this. Well, I mean, there's a lot of issues on the waterfront. As you all know, Quincy is a water-based coastal community. There's 25 or 26 miles of coastline in Quincy, depending on whose math we're talking about. Um, and coastal resiliency is a big part of climate change. And this is kind of an under-discussed conversation in Massachusetts uh, over the course of my lifetime in this gig. It's because you know, we all want to address issues such as using more renewable power, you know, cutting back electrical use, which is kind of funny because of electrification, we're trying to cut back electrical use by one electrification. However, I agree. Yeah. We can talk about that more another day. Yeah. Uh, but everyone wants to talk about coastal resilience. And you know, as a you know, person literally my home is across from Black Street Marsh. I do see the tidal changes uh, through the marshland. Um, you know, people you know don't want to talk about that stuff. And uh, honestly, you know, you look at the past governors and lieutenant governors, the majority do not live on the coastline. They didn't grow up on coastlines. And as a result, coastal resiliency is running behind schedule. We should have had coastal resiliency. Uh, addressed by prior governors, but again, they don't they don't see that. And you know, I talk about dredging the channel at a time too, which is also a big part of maritime, right? Mm -hmm. Dredging actually gives you a better flushing of Quincy Bay, which is a shallow bay because it's an artificial beach, which keeps pouring sand into the bay because this is not a natural beach, and the sand eventually drifts south to Cape Cod by natural tidal movement. But you know, that's also part of it too, and. Uh, we have a lieutenant governor that's a coastal lieutenant governor for the first time. You know, uh, Lieutenant Governor Driscoll was mayor of Salem, you know, a coastal community. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm honestly very excited and, and very happy uh, that, you know, the governor's folks are looking to address climate change, but also, you know, really pushing with DCR regarding things like, you know, a, a better maintenance of recreational areas along the beachfront. Uh, you know, the uh, dredging issue continues to be a priority. I did get some opera money that that is still being way to be used for dredging and obviously, you know, recreational way, uh, roadways like Furnished Road Parkway. Um, and obviously places like the Blue Hill, but also the creeks, right? I mean, we have Town Brook, we have um, Furnished Brook. Uh, and people don't realize that Quincy's surrounded by water. I mean, to the north of us is the ponds, to the southwest is Fall River. And, and cutting through the middle, we have two major brooks. Mm -hmm. but although you can't see Town Brook mostly because it's all underground. Um, right. but you know, the city is, is, you know, surrounded by water. Well, most we don't think of it, but it really is. Um, so, you know, the, the, having the governor, you know, actually commit uh, a part of, uh, one of her agencies to look at climate change, um, and look at coastal resiliency, uh, in that manner is, is crucial. Um, rising tides, uh, impact the coastline first. Um, it doesn't matter where on the coast you are. 
and natural defenses have eroded. Sand dunes, seagrass, a lot of these natural defenses along the coastline have been eroded. So, you know, whether they explore, you know, tidal breaks uh, by putting large um, environmentally acceptable objects into the water. They've done this with big ships in other countries where they drop these uh, tankers that become essentially coral reefs. Yeah. Um, they clean out all the dirty stuff and then, you know, drop the metal in the water and then, you know, it becomes essentially a coral reef in certain places and it becomes a tidal break because it breaks the underwater wave because the waves actually start under the water. It's when they hit the coastline, they come out of the water and right. they buffer uh, underneath on the way through and reduce the size of the, the tides that hit you, right? And like I said, seagrass and, and sand dunes are natural defenses that have eroded or destroyed by human reconfiguration of the coastline. Yeah. Uh, so let's be polite. Um, and also, um, you know, also things like seawalls, right? Uh, and uh, tidal gates and preservation of marshlands um, and better management of all the brooks and rivers, you know, all help regarding coastal resiliency. Yeah, there's many of the things that you talked about are, are mentioned um, in her announcement yesterday. I, I wish I have right here. Don't see, but, but one thing that caught me, I thought was interesting was, you know, you mentioned nature-based solutions, dredging, coastal nourishment, roadway elevation, and managed retreat. <laughs> wonder what managed retreat means. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means either. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we, if you watch the news, I think you all seen places like the Hunt, you know, having their whole people's homes fall into the ocean. Yeah, uh, it's so tragic. I mean, it's ter terrible, absolutely terrible. If you look at the video of these people's homes and cliffs, it's literally just going to collapse, right? And yeah. you know, on the south shore, I mean, the the biggest news is always Marshfield, right? I mean, Marshfield is literally underwater; it's below sea level. It's a marshland. Mm -hmm. And uh, people's homes up on, oh my God, it's terrible. They're up on, they have to rebuild their homes on uh, on stilts. And uh, right. they have that funny situation where uh, water goes over the uh, wall into the drainage system, come out of the drainage system, back to the ocean and recycle. Um, it's, yeah, literally, it sounds like it goes over the wall, into the drainage system, comes out back into the ocean, then comes back in. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. It's like a catch-22, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I know folks along the water here, we do get a lot of flooding people's homes. And, yeah, it's tough. Uh, and it's and we definitely need to mitigate it. Uh, I'm not suggesting we move homes in Walston, you know, to Quarry Hills. I'm obviously not suggesting that. But, I mean, right. there are ways to mitigate. But certain uh, private, public, and you know, properties are probably going to have to shift off right against the water at some point. Mm. Uh, like Nahant's my favorite example. Again, I mean, they literally cliff sides just collapsed. Mm -hmm the ocean and your homes up there for like probably built a hundred years ago when there was like, you know, another hundred feet or 200 feet plus of land in front of you before the ocean started taking it back. I mean, nature just came in and decided want to reclaim it all. Um, and it's not like we can stop that nature from wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, some of the stuff, yeah, is accelerated by climate change, but I mean, it was like, you know, a hundred year worth of just natural, um, nature just taking it. Climate change, climate change accelerated nature taking it back. Right. I think we to do it. I'm going to talk about it. So, um, you know, I think humans are going to have to retreat off the water at some stage. And that includes like, you know, including um, the uh, wharf, Long Wharf in mm -hmm. Boston. You know, I'm young enough, uh, old enough to remember my young days watching the Marriott being built. Um, they built them on pillars. They thought they were ready for uh, future climate change issues because based on the, uh, the models of the time, 
But that was like in the mid early 80s. And now we're in the uh, early 2020s, actually 20, yeah, 2020s. And uh, the models have changed dramatically from then. Yes. And, you know, that, that whole area, Four Point in Boston and, and those locations, you know, subject to be completely underwater. Do you retreat off the coast? Um, and what do you do? And of course, there's private property verifications. You know, both private uh, homeowners as well as commercial um, developers uh, sink a lot of money into their homes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and it, and we have private new seawalls. That's people, true, right? People don't realize not all seawalls are publicly owned. There are privately owned seawalls, and uh, and they have like you know, like if you live in Murmount and you're up Shore Ave and you got that hill up there, and then people's homes you go behind those homes, there's kind of um, an odd way of putting seawalls where we put stone up against the sides of the, the essentially cliff mm. and it helps holds up everything above it and when the waters hit those stones it breaks and it doesn't cause more erosion against right. the, the the essentially the cliff side you know um you know but those are private properties that are not mm. they're not publicly owned and uh if you give it to the public to own it, then I mean, then you have easement issues because the public has a right to access places the public money paid for. Right. So that's a whole other, you know, complexity to it. Um, right. So we'll see, you know, how the government decides to unroll this stuff. As you guys all can tell, I know something about the water, uh, <laughs> even though you hate it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not. A, it's not. A, it's it's public. You know, I'm afraid of the water. I do not yes. like boats. <laughs> I do not like being over piers. I don't no, we're not like, going to see Tacky on a surfboard anytime soon. <laughs> no, I, I don't really know how to swim. Um, it's just not my thing. Uh, but I, I do know how water moves. Right. Uh, spending enough time working in Michael Morrissey's office, plus, you know, the selected position. I spent a whole lot of time learning about water and how water moves. And water, you know, likes lowest points. And water is very destructive. Um, you know, uh, uh, like Chinese sayings. I mean, we like to use water as, as a... You know how to live because it can flow, it can change, you can move, you can transform, yeah. and uh, give enough time, it will erode, it will erode any over time. Hey, speaking of, um, I just thought of you're probably aware your colleague Bruce Ayers introducing a bill, um, to set up a commission to study uh, ferry service to Long Island. Yeah, I, this is a constant battle between Quincy and uh, Boston regarding Long Island Bridge. Obviously, I don't represent the Long Island. I'm British. I represent the southern peninsulas, not the northern peninsulas of the city. Uh, you know, again, I'm a little, this is stuff I'm a little bit too young for. I mean, the days when Jim Sheets was doing like a protest at the entrance during the long Oh, shift. yes. I was there. He's standing on top of a, on the hood of a Jeep. <laughs> yeah, I was a little, I'm a little young for that story, uh, but I'm aware of the story. Uh, and uh, not just the impacts of the Squanum neighborhood regarding, you know, bomb trucks coming through to blow things up and you know, a better management of the folks that are having a more severe mental issues in you know, Long Island have escaped, for lack of a better term, uh, into the squad neighborhoods, causing uh, some panic and, and lockdown of the schools, um, as well as uh, inability to access Long Island for, for public recreational use. And this has always been like a huge contention uh, between Quincy and Boston for, for many, 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 many decades now. Yeah. And uh, Boston folks don't appreciate nor care, quite frankly, uh, you know, bomb trucks moving through Boston, uh, through Quincy uh, for disposal uh, because you don't see it. And this is always a uh, classic, right? Everyone knows out of sight, out of mind, right? If you don't see it, it doesn't exist. It's not my problem. But it becomes someone else's problem. And, 
the unique situation of this is that, you know, Boston has property inside Quincy borders, which makes it a private property owner. Uh, so, if, but if there's no uh, state money going into it, uh, you know, it doesn't give um, complete access. If it's just you know, Boston money on private property, they, they treat like a, any other private property owner. They're not treated like a, 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 a municipality, not government. It's quirky. It's very quirky. It's not unusual, but it is quirky. Um, it's not like the state. When state buys property in a city or town, we have supremacy clause. We have supremacy position over municipality. So, you know, we can close it. Um, like the example is the uh, MBTA training facility that's in Boston. Mm-hmm. MBTA police are trained in Quincy. People realize that off C Street. That's a private facility, but it's a, a state a state entity basically owns it. Uh, right. But it's not like you can walk onto the site, you know, on, onto it uh, because it's not a public accessible area. Uh, but besides, why would you want to walk into the MBTA Police Academy, right? Um, on, on the flip side, though, if we pick, put things for transport on a road or a sidewalk or a state-owned park, uh, everybody from the state can access, the entire public can access it. It's not mm-hmm. limited to just people living in Quincy. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of part of the weird Long Island Bridge situation. And an you know, argument for ferry service makes sense. It's cheaper than trying to build probably a $200 million bridge at this point and probably just want to go up. And, uh, but I mean, there's also a condition of the properties there and, you know, ferry service will uh, provide, um, you know, uh, equal benefit in terms of moving people back and forth from, uh, you know, the Long Island, you know, medical facilities that, and uh, substance abuse assistance facilities that, uh, that the the city wants to put in there. Uh, And then, you know, also keep it out of residential neighborhoods in, in Swanum. Now, I also bring up this point as the city of Boston has been like fighting this bridge issue of Quincy and building, you know, talk about all this stuff, you know, they've committed minimal amount of effort to address uh, the issue in Boston themselves by trying to build another facility or facilities on public land in Boston or land you could take by eminent domain to address the issue locally. Uh, I find it rather astounding that, um, the city of Boston has not tried to address the issue in the near term. Instead, bank on something that won't be constructed for probably a decade or two. Yeah, that's uh, been the mayor's argument um, as well. You know, the, the crisis there is now. Yeah, and I find it very shocking that neither Marty Walsh and now Michelle Wu, you know, will look and address the crisis today. I mean, you know, Mass and Cass, as you all discovered, they just moved to a different place. I mean, they got cleaned out of the current locale. They just moved, like, to a different location. And now, as opposed to the root cause of it, hasn't changed. No, and the concentration has moved. So, as a result, I suspect in Mass and Cass, what's going to happen is this since they cleared out Mass and Cass and they're no longer congregating the location, now you have pockets of locations in around a geographic zone. So, as a try to police one locale, they've now created a problem with creating multiple locales. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. have this is not forward thinking government, which I find you know a little bit frightening. This, this is to me somewhat common sense. If you've been around long enough, you should. It's common sense. It's it's the top of water, right? Water goes from one place to another. You displace water, it's got to go somewhere else. Right. And sometimes it pulls into more than one place because of directional water. People will move unless you ad- find a way to address the root problem. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm a little shocked by this because this is not really good city plan, good city thinking by by city of Boston on this particular crisis. And the state's put a lot of money into this. I mean, you know, I, I can confirm this. I mean, the state has put a lot of resources into Boston to help address substance abuse issues and homelessness uh, for a very long time because it is Boston. It is 
10% of the population state. It has over 50% of GDP. It's you know, highly dense areas. Uh, and not surprising, the city gets a lot of state resources because of the size and, and the scope of Boston. Um, but also, you know, places like Quincy is a spillover, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to say no to people who need help. We talked about this a long time ago, and I don't think anybody in city government or state government will ever say no anybody needs help. However, you know, the, you know, the attitude you get from Boston folks is, well, you're dumping our problems on us. I'm like, back up a second. When you, who do you think your overflow is? It comes into the surrounding communities that starts there. And yeah, I know a lot of folks from outside of Boston ended up in Madison Cass. There's plenty of news interviews. You can watch Channel 5 in particular. There's some great stories on this. But they're there not because it's Boston. They're because of the congregation or the opportunity to continue, you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of the issues they have. It allows to enable them to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not for always from like a Quincy situation. They're coming from sometimes from more affluent suburban communities. So it's not, you know, oh, Quincy people dump into Boston. I mean, you know, as you can tell, folks, I mean, I've had this fight already. Um, and I like, I'm a human service person in heart. So, you know, you address the immediate issue now. Um, and Boston clearly has decided to bank on a plan 10 years down the road as opposed to addressing a crisis today in a better format by, let's say, building a facility for like two, a million or two million dollars uh, now, you know, to triage the situation. Okay. Yep. Stay tuned for that. And uh, stay tuned to uh, our 1001th. A.M. Quincy, Techie. <laughs> well, I'm sure you have, you know, Council President DeBona or, you know, Mayor Koch or Senator Keaton or any number <laughs> of folks that you have lined up for 1,001. You can tell them that they just missed the boat by one episode. <laughs> Tacky will forever hold the 1,000th episode title. <laughs> Is that going to be part of the podcast title? Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll 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 note it. We'll note it on the uh, on the website. <laughs> uh, I, well, I, I, that uh, a great honor and uh, timing and dumb luck. I think is part of it too. <laughs> I agree. I don't see a it, wasn't, I don't, it wasn't planned. <laughs> I don't see a cake in this uh, screen here. I don't see uh, streamers coming out. You know, no, there's nothing. No. <laughs> afraid not um but you know here we are we're, we're still both here we're still both both going so that's all we can ask you can tell we're having a lot of fun i mean this this is part of why i not not the whole reason but it's one of the many reasons i like to do this with each other it's it's a lot of fun and you know i get to rant a little bit <laughs> just just like i did for, for 10 minutes or yeah, so that's good just think of me as your bartender. <laughs> <laughs> we should do this for a bar. That would be interesting. We could talk about alcohol laws. <laughs> oh, that's another whole that's another whole show. <laughs> yeah, we do a whole show from a bar. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the two of us are drinks. I, I can see that getting nixed by your boss. <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be played after midnight, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we have to uh, wrap up our show. Yeah, uh, again, the office is open uh, through the holidays from 42 of the state house. We are moving to a little bit of a holiday schedule because obviously a staff wants to see their own families um, as we're trying to work out, you know, everyone's uh, Christmas travels. Um, so, I mean, we're going to be there. It's just we're trying to, it's small office of five people. So we're all trying to figure out how to make sure that everybody is fairly, get their fair time to uh, to um, 
to accommodate their family schedules during during the holidays. So, but you know, we're in room 42. Um, obviously 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. Uh, please do not hesitate to call the office. Uh, you know, uh, smash a button if you can't figure out where to get to because I've made a system, but we do have front desk folks now and uh sometimes they get overwhelmed and you end up in an automated system so you know that that does happen uh obviously uh, tacky.chan at amahouse.gov t-a-c-k-e-y.c-h-a-n at amahouse.gov is is my um email we should do an email episode we should like check my email to see how long email how many emails i get an hour with you we should do it different times of years and see what happens that could be fun um yeah okay and then we have well, obviously the state website at legislature.gov as well as tackychan.org, uh, which is more of a reference page. And of course, we have X at Tacky Chan and the Facebook state representative Tacky Chan. And we have QA TV. <laughs> you know, obviously, my preference is emails and calling the office. Please do not social media me. We, social media is crazy, folks. You all know what that's like. Call or email the office. Uh, social media is not effective uh, given the number of things people like to write on social media. Um, we'll leave it at that. So, you know, with that, uh, I probably will see you in the month of December. That's right. Yeah, we'll be a new month by then. Thanks so much, Jackie. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Have a great week. Congratulations, Joe, on sticking out this long. And, uh, you know, you have a great rest of the week and uh, talk to you soon.